Well, this morning we want to continue our discussion of the power of being strategic. And we're looking at session three in that training, five elements of strategic planning. Uh, you'll also notice on this screen, there's a text, Second Chronicles 27, six. So Jotham became mighty because he ordered his ways before the Lord, his God. Uh, this is a text that uh, really jumped out at me in recent days as to the importance of being strategic. If we don't learn to order our ways before the Lord, we will never be strong in him. We'll never be strong at doing whatever he's created us to do. So strategic planning is about ordering our ways before the Lord. So we need to know the process and we need to engage in the process. So let's look at uh, some false thinking about it first. Some common false beliefs about planning are planning limits the will of God in our life or walking in the Holy Spirit is inconsistent with planning. Uh, there are many people that think that. They think you need to be spontaneous. Well, I'm not opposed to spontaneity, but the scripture has something to say about planning. and We'll look at that today. Planning never works. It's too restrictive. That's another very common false conception. Here's a pundit's perspective. This came out of the book, uh, The Rules of Business by the Fast Company Editors. Uh, page 191, you'll find this quote. If you don't know where you're going, any road will take you there. You need a clear strategy and a clear direction, one that everyone in the organization understands as well as you do. And that, and that probably mostly came through common grace. It probably didn't come through divine revelation, although it might have. I just don't know these writers. I don't know where they are spiritually, but they do have captured something of truth here in that, that saying. And we don't want to just try to go anywhere. We want to go where God has called us to go. And scripture is very specific on this. Planning is not optional. Planning is really not a choice. Planning is a command. Look what some Proverbs say here. The wisdom of the prudent is to give thought to their ways. Well, if you want to be prudent, you've got a plan. Or Proverbs 16, verse 9 says, In his heart a man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. This gives you a picture of God's engagement with us in planning. And Psalm 90, verse 12 is a prayer. Teach us to number our days. This is a prayer to God. Teach us to number our days aright, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. In other words, count your days. You know God has given you so many days. He expects you to use those days wisely. And to do it, we need divine empowerment, divine uh, wisdom, divine direction. And so planning is part of imparting that to us. God uses planning to grant us wisdom and discernment. Now, James chapter 4 gives us a very, very clear revelation on God's view of planning. There's probably nothing more clear than this. <clears throat> James writes, come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Now, we know that what they're talking about is planning. They're talking about a strategic plan. They're going to go someplace. They're going to sell something or make something or do something and make a bunch of money. That's what every strategic plan I have ever seen says. Even the plans that fail, they say we're not going to fail. We're going to go make a bunch of money. 
if you make a plan to fail, you, you're not going to try to execute that plan. You want a plan that's going to succeed. You're biased inherently from birth to want to succeed. And so this is inherently in human beings to do this. But we have to remember our bias to sin interferes. So he reminds us, yet you do not know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. In other words, there's something so much bigger than you going on. It's God's big story of history called the meta narrative. And you have been created for such a time and you've been put in certain organizations to serve his purpose. And he gets very explicit. He says this, instead of being arrogant, instead of being prideful, instead of presuming that you know, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. You see, strategic planning is a process of discerning the will of God. That is first and foremost what it's all about. We have to learn to think at that level. And I find most professing Christians that I deal with today have almost no understanding of how to do that and no real revelation that that is their responsibility to learn to discern the will of God for themselves personally, for whatever organizations they're part of, their families, their churches, their businesses, their communities. Everything is a process of discerning the will of God and then walking out that plan and in faith, trusting that God will accomplish his purpose in and through us as we do so. So this is what planning is at the core. It's about alignment with God. It's about discerning what he wants done. Now, here are the elements of strategic planning, and I'm going to suggest that there are five key elements. Number one, you have to have vision for the, where you're going, the future. What is it that God wants to do in my life? What's God want to do in my family? What does God want to do in my business? What's God want to do in and through my church, my community? A every jurisdiction, the five jurisdictions, you know, the individual government, family government, church government, workplace government, and then civil government, all five spheres of authority. You need to have strategic plans. There should be questions by the leaders in each of those spheres as to what is the will of God? What does he want done? So we have to begin to envision what he wants done. The second thing is we have to understand where we are. You've got to know where you are if you're going to map out a road to where you should go. Thirdly, you've got to develop steps of transformation. You're going from where you are to where you think you should be. That's a process of transformation. And then you have to execute. As you develop those steps of transformation, you have to act on those. As you act on those, you facilitate that transformation and you begin to realize the vision. And finally, you will never do this well if you're not accountable. You absolutely have to be accountable. It's very easy with strategic planning to do it and then put it aside and never look at it again or do very little of what you are determined to do. That is the norm. That's what happens to most people because it takes a lot of discipline. It takes a lot of tenacity. It takes a lot of faith. It takes a lot of endurance. It takes a lot of hard work to really execute a plan well. Now, let's talk about vision for a second. 
the Hubble telescope is a great metaphor, a very great picture here. Once we put that in space some 25 years ago and turned it on and got it working properly, they had to repair it. But once they did that, what this, the pictures they got of the universe were just stunning. Suddenly, outside of the atmosphere of the Earth, we could see with more clarity and more precision than we could ever see from telescopes on Earth. And we found a whole new universe. And see, this is kind of a picture. Most of us live our lives trying to look at reality through the atmosphere of the Earth. And, we're, and the atmosphere of the Earth represents the cares of this life, self-centeredness, money, wrong. All those things that interfere with us seeing clearly what God has. So we have to really work hard to develop vision. We've got to really get to a place of faith. We have to know that God created us individually, strategically, purposefully, and redeemed us to accomplish that purpose. Ephesians 2.10 is a really wonderful text that illustrates this. For we are God's workmanship. We didn't create ourselves. We didn't define who our families would be. We didn't define whether it be male or female, even though people are trying to do that today. That's a that's deception. That's a false reality. There's no reality in that. God defines who you are. He defines everything about you, and he is, redeems us so we can accomplish something he wants done. So notice what this text said. We're created in Christ Jesus to do good works. And we think when you read that good works, you probably have a very dualistic mindset and you interpret that as like helping a whole la old lady across the street, which is not what he's talking about. As good as that might be, he's talking much bigger than that. He's talking about a work assignment, a complete work assignment. Your life is a work assignment. Every day you're on the work assignment. Everything is about that work assignment. Now you're doing the works that God has called you to do. And those works have been prepared in advance for you to do. You've been prepared for him, and this plan and purpose has been laid out, and he's calling you to walk it out. Walk out your role in his big plan. So this is the vision. You've got to begin to see beyond the distractions, see beyond life as we know it today, and to see metaphysically beyond the natural. What is God doing? Why am I here? What is my role why is the organization that I'm part of here, what does he want to do in and through that? What is this church that I'm part of, this Christian community? Why are we here? What are we supposed to be doing? We're not here for ourselves. We're here for him. We're not here to live the American dream. As much as that, that's appealing to us, that's not what we're here. We're here to serve the purposes of God on this planet. And so we've got to get very, very clear on that. And so as we begin to stretch to see what our vision for our lives are and for our businesses and for our churches and our communities, all these things, then we have to know that there may be near term and long term. Uh, some sometimes, uh, you know, you have dynamic situations that require more short term vision. Things are changing quickly. So, uh, you know, a year from now or two years from now, or three years from now, things are dramatically different. So you've got to you've got to develop vision for that. Others change more slowly. So you can now plan out for, you know, 5, 10, 15, 20 years, maybe even centuries, you know, which that is a mind boggling thing. Almost 
And, you know, I, I ask many clients, do you have a 50-year plan? Do you have a 100-year plan? How about a 500-year plan? And invariably, they don't have anything like that. The most they might have is a one-year plan, maybe a five-year plan. Oh, and very rarely a 10-year plan. So that's, that's just very common. We are very myopic. We're very short-sighted in how we think because largely we are not seeing beyond the atmosphere. The atmosphere of the earth has clogged our ability to see what God is doing, big picture, long term. we got to break free and look through the Hubble telescope. That takes us getting connected with God in such a way that we can see what he sees, unimpaired by depravity, unimpaired by the culture, unimpaired by the enemy trying to block us. So we've got to gain that vision. That's a spiritual exercise. It's spiritual discernment. It, it takes community to do that. We will never do that well by ourselves. So we've got to gain vision. The next thing we have to do is we have to have a, a clear assessment. We have to know in reality, where are we? What is the as is condition of my life, of my organization, of my church, of my family, of my community? Where are we? And as you begin to face that reality, sometimes that can be really brutal. Uh, envisioning the future can be very exciting. It can be fun because you can see what possibilities. Everybody likes to see possibilities and dream. That's the fun part of the process. Now, here's the really hard part is being brutally honest about what is. Dealing and truth. Can you live in reality? Can you see reality? Can you be honest about reality? And to do that can be very, very challenging and very, very difficult. We have to be willing to face it. We have to be willing to step up. I wonder if I, I, wonder if I reach with this now. So we, Peter, can you, you mute yourself? We can hear you. So moving on here. So let's talk more about assessment. Well, assessment is a community <laughs> exercise. It is very much a community exercise. We have to learn to think in community. If we don't do that, we'll be stuck just with our perspective. And our perspective is always on some level skewed. We always have biases. We always want to see things through our eyes and we only see what we see. And a very simple example of that is just look at your spouse. Your spouse sees things differently from you. And that's invariably the case. And that doesn't mean you don't have some commonality in how you see things, you will but there'll be things about your perspective on reality that will be different. You'll see your children a little differently. You'll see work a little differently. You'll see church a little differently. You'll see the community a little differently. And these differences are not weaknesses, they're strengths. We have to begin to listen and for the voice of God through what other people see. Listen through our peers, listen through our customers, listen through our vendors, authority figures. We have to begin to hear and know that's the way God works. God is a God of community. Wise counsel. Wise counsel is critical because without counsel, plans fail. We're not talking about just any counsel here. Proverbs 15.22 is implicitly saying wise counsel, but with many wise advisors, and I'm adding the word wisdom because I think that's implied, they will succeed. 1 Corinthians 13 is the great text on love, and it follows 1 Corinthians 12, which is the great text on interdependence. 
So interdependence is absolutely a strong Christian virtue, not autonomy, not independence, but interdependence. And now he's saying, even when you're interdependent, you need to recognize that we know in part and we prophesy in part. We are, we see only as a reflection as is in a mirror, but when, but then we will see face to face that is referring to once we escape this reality, this physical reality and get into where the Hubble telescope is, we can see much better. That's a good analogy here. And that's what we, we have to recognize our limitations. Nobody sees reality correctly, clearly, completely. We all see with tinted glasses and we need each other to help compensate for our limitations. So this is what assessment is all about. A tool of assessment may be something like a SWOT analysis where you're looking at strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. This is an iterative process where you're looking at all the ways that various things, various situations and people and circumstances and opportunities can impact an organization or impact you personally. And so you look and evaluate these things. Whatever strengths you have, God has given them to you. Whatever weaknesses you have, God has given to you. And he's given you people to make up for those weaknesses. That's why the community is so important. Whatever opportunities are there, God has orchestrated those. And even the threats, he's put them there for his purpose. And we have to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves in how we assess those things and how we deal with those things. The third element, goals. These are tools of transformation here to, to change from where we are to where God wants us to go to realize the vision. There are basically three elements that go into a goal. There has to be a metric, there has to be a deadline, and there has to be someone who owns it, a steward of it. If you don't have those three, you don't have a goal. You just have a wish or a dream or a hope. A goal is something that is is tangible. You are going to do something. It's not a goal to say we want to make more money. That is not a goal. It's not a goal to say I want to grow. That's not a goal. It's not a goal to say I want to go on a vacation to rest. That's not a goal. A goal has to have concrete, you know, metric, something you can measure. You know, for example, you know, I want to I want to read through the Bible this year. Okay? So you can see the metric is Reading through the Bible, that's the metric. The deadline is the year, and the owner is me. So that becomes a real goal. And that's a goal that I personally have every year is to read through the Bible. And I hold myself accountable to that. And I ask others to hold me accountable to it as well. Well, same way with the business. Uh, if you are, you are called into a business, you know that you need to make a profit. You know, because God values profit. We see that, for example, in Luke 19, the parable of the miners. You see where he valued a profit. So we need to set a goal. We want to make a certain profit level. And, you know, since healthy things grow, you expect that profit level to grow. So you may have a goal uh, for 2019 that our profit will grow 10% over last year. Okay, so the deadline would be the end of the fiscal year. The metric is a 10% over what we did last year. And the owner is the CEO, the one in charge, ultimately, of the organization. So that's, that's a goal. That's something you can measure. That's something where you have a deadline. That's something you can say, okay, we did it. We have somebody that's owning it, saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tend to this goal and work to make this goal happen. 
A goal is a process of partnering with God to accomplish his will. Proverbs 69 says, in his heart, a man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. You see, there's God is working with us in this strategic planning process. It's very hard. Nobody can envision a plan perfectly. It was very unusual for a plan to go perfectly. So we plan it. We set a course. And as we walk it out, we in faith trust that God will make the course corrections because he tells us he will make the course corrections. Proverbs 69 being a great example of that. As we walk out, you know, the reality of what the organization is doing strategically and going through this transformation, we're, we're delivering a value proposition at the same time as we're transforming the organization to where it does a better and better job of executing. So we got to remember that execution is the key. If you don't execute the plan, then you're not going to be effective. You may, you may exist as an organization or as a person, but you're not going anywhere. You're really not aligning with God well. You won't enjoy the favor of God. So you need to execute well. And I have seven key elements of this that I'm going to be teaching in the next seminar called Executional Excellence. But you need to be aware of them and begin to wrestle with them and become familiar with them. First and foremost, you have to have the right handbook. There's only one right handbook for life and for organizations. And if you don't know that handbook and are not consciously trying to live by that handbook in every area of life, then you will be deceiving yourself and you will not execute well. From this right handbook, you will develop a right culture, a context in which you live and everyone you're associated with live, lives. If you're an organization, you have to have context for that organization, for the people. You also have to have the right people. Not everyone is qualified to be part of your organization or whatever organization you're part of. <clears throat> God has assignments. He assigns certain people to certain organizations, certain churches, certain communities. God is sovereign in all of this. You have to discern the right value proposition. The pro value proposition flows from the strategic plan. What is it we're trying to deliver? Okay, and how are we trying to deliver it? The value proposition now is a tactical expression of the strategic plan. Then you have the right systems. These are the tools that help you deliver the value proposition well. And you have to have the right resources. These are the assets, largely financial assets is what I have in mind with this. But human resources is part of it as well, technological resources as well. The right resources are largely financial in nature that support what you have discerned God has called you to do, whether it's an individual plan or an organizational plan. And the right customer service now, am I really serving the people the way I should serve them? It's very easy to try to use people for our own agendas. It's very easy to build a Tower of Babel, which is all about building something that glorifies ourselves. We do that as church leaders. We do that individually. We do that as families, as parents. We do it in, in our communities, politicians. It's very easy to build towers of Babel. That's a default for a fallen mankind. We have to break free from that, die to self, and learn to be true servants, serving the purpose of God and others. That's very important you understand that. It's not serving what they want. 
It's serving the purpose of God in them. That is what real love is. That's what real customer service is. And that's a very challenging standard. It's much easier for me to serve your fleshly desires, your, quote, felt needs, your perceived needs. But what we are into is serving not your real needs, your felt needs, or excuse me, not your perceived needs, but your real needs, not your felt needs, but the needs God has defined for you. And when you serve real needs and you serve it as a servant of God selflessly, then you are loving them. That's what love looks like. Finally, you have to be accountable. If you're not accountable, then you're probably not going to do the plan. Over and over again, I have seen this to be reality. Without accountability, plans almost always simply wind up undone. The binder, when we used to put plans in binders, we don't do that anymore. We have them all electronically. But when we had them in binders, if you can imagine that a moment, uh, people would have the binder of the plan, and they'd throw the binder over in the corner, and it would just gather dust. It would never be picked up again. That consistently is what I've seen with people I have helped develop plans over the years. Accountability puts you under discipline. Discipline to give an account to somebody. You have to do that. If you don't do that, you will probably fail at executing your plan. Remember this, the biblical basis for planning is seen in such things as the parable of the minus. The end goal that we're after is being able to live faithfully before God, doing his will according to his ways, so that when we are held account and we will all be accountable, we will be able to say what was said here. That is, Jesus said of the servant who served him well, that he, has, he was faithful and he promoted him. And so we have been sent out as people who have been given time, talent, and treasure, technology, and we've been given a mission. And our job is to serve and serve well. And when we do that, we will hear, well done. And there's nothing greater in life than hearing, well done. The enemies of strategic planning are things like the tyranny of the urgent, self-focus, narcissism, single generational focus. In other words, building towers of Babel where it's all about you, what you want to do, your glory, your fame, your fortune. You know, the American dream is a great example of the Tower of Babel. And there's also the failure to communicate the plan well so you don't get buy-in. If you don't have organizational buy-in or you don't have your own buy-in, you can have your own plan. You don't buy into your own plan. You can do that as well and you won't succeed. You've got to really buy, you believe that you have discerned the will of God and you are really trying to execute you know, to serve the purposes of God. You're really committed to him and his agenda, and that can be very difficult. Finally, success is all about alignment. It's about being able to say, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, and I have kept the faith. You can be assured that your plan, whatever plan you're executing personally, in your church, in the workplace, in your family, in the community, whatever plans you are executing will be a fight. There'll be resistance because the enemy resists it. The culture resists God and our flesh, even though we're Christians, we still have the vestiges of the flesh that have not been fully eradicated. They're in the process of being eradicated through sanctification, but they're never fully expunged until we go be with the Lord. So they will resist us as we're here 
and we are going to have a fight on our hands. We have to finish the race. You cannot give up. And we have to stay in faith every step of the way. And that can be very, very challenging. So this is the challenge. Can we learn to live as God has directed us to live strategically in every jurisdiction, personal, family, church, workplace, and even the community? Can we learn to be strategic? Can we learn to discern his will and be committed to executing his will according to his ways? Will we do that? Can we do that? Do we have the power in Christ to do that? Well, I pray that we do, and I pray that we'll learn to be strategic. And there is great power if you learn to live strategically. May God give us all grace to learn to do that well. In Jesus' name, amen.